Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Mary Beth. And I'm Terry. Each episode, our special guests will bring with them a movie that traumatized. This week, our special guest is Ryan Larson, editor-in-chief of Ghastly Grinning. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Uh, this is really exciting. Um, I think you are one of my favorite people on, on Twitter. and. Oh. You had Thank a birthday you. yesterday. Yes. I know. I was going to say we have to wish you happy birthday. So oh, happy you so birthday. Much. Yeah. I turned uh, 31, so. Oh, my gosh. Officially in the 30s. You are in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you do anything fun for your birthday? Uh, no, I kept it pretty low-key. Honestly, I went pretty hard last year for the actual 30th. Um, okay. Right. Yeah. Yep. So this year, I kind of just hung out. Um, my best friend, who I do my podcast with, um the Keep Screaming podcast, um, Mm -hmm. she just had a son five months ago, and so he's like my little nephew, and then my my, uh, goddaughter was born a week ago. 
Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, so I we all hung out and watched football, but mostly just an excuse to, like, hold babies. So we did that, that all day. That sounds lovely. Yeah, it was great. You know, you're, you know, you're, like, growing up and becoming an adult when you enjoy hanging out with babies on your birthday. Which is oh, not a bad absolutely. thing. It's just funny. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was very relaxing. It was a good change of pace. Good. So um, you are the editor-in-chief of Ghastly Grinning. Um, can you talk a little bit about that website? Yeah, so uh, Ghastly Grinning was actually started, I think we're almost on our two-year anniversary. That's um, awesome. I wanted, and it, God, it was probably three or four years ago now. I got, uh, I, I started the... Um, shockwaves horror movie club on facebook because i was Which a huge fan of. yeah i was a huge fan of the the podcast but um i really wanted to talk about the movies that they were talking about and my my immediate friend group was very limited with the amount of people who were like actually very into horror movies um so i started the facebook group to kind of ex- try to in- expand that and i met a lot of some of my very very close friends now um through that group um so what happened is I actually got really drunk on New Year's Eve a couple years ago, <laughs> and I yeah, and I messaged like six of the people in that group, and I was like, "You guys are my favorites in this group." And then out of nowhere, we just bonded and we formed this friendship, and from that we created Ghastly Grinning, um, and it was just built from. I got really tired of negativity everywhere in the world i felt like everywhere i was turning it was just uh toxicity and negativity and i yeah and i used to be a part of that too um just i film criticism had taken such a nosedive into like trying to point out what was wrong and i was like this is not why i love movies i love movies because i love film and people work really hard on these and i want to celebrate the genre and i also want um, to create a safe space for horror fans, because this was also right around the time of the election. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, <laughs> uh, I just was like, I, I want to create like a safe space for horror fans where they can go and celebrate what they love, um, and also, you know, we try to do what we can. We're very um, pro mental health, um, LBGTQIA. Um, we advocate for female minority representation in the genre. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how Ghastly Grinning came about was just, I really wanted somewhere, I mean, our tagline is make horror happy. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted somewhere where you could go where no matter what, if you went to the site, you would know that you're reading something positive. And our goal isn't to like ignore the negative things. Mm -hmm. Those are still, they're still in the reviews and, and, um, if we see issues with things, we'll call them out, but we highlight the positive. And you're not going to just drag a movie through shit. So exactly, yeah. I, yeah. I and yeah. I won't even lie. There have been a couple times where my my uh, writers will reach out and they're like, "Hey, I cannot review this movie because I can't <laughs> find anything nice to say." And I'm like, "Cool, I'll give it to someone else." I've done that before because I'm like, I don't want to be like this is an independent horror maker, and I don't want to be that person that says something nasty. Like, I think someone else should write this review because I don't want to be that one person that says something negative. It just feels bad. It feels bad, especially when they're small. You get the screeners and the publicist or like the filmmaker themselves, and you're like, I just don't want to trash this, and maybe it's just not my taste. Exactly. My dad one time said something that really stuck with me. He said, every band is someone's favorite band. And that's kind of how I – yeah, that's how I feel about movies. So I kind of like – I know my writers pretty well. I try to gauge their taste. And I'm like, hey, I think you'll like this. Would Mm -hmm. you like to review it? Because I think you'll be able to get something from it that maybe I can't. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I've, I've actually been following your website since it uh, launched, and it was kind of, it kind of kicked me in the butt to like start my own. So really, I have you to thank, and that's me being honest. I don't think I've ever told you that before. Uh, you definitely haven't, and I feel very honored because <laughs> I, I mean, um, I, I, your website I think is truly incredible. I think it's one of the things we need the most. Um, I think queer horror is so important, um, and your website and the Attack of the Queer Wolf podcast and everything Michael Verratti does um, are just so integral, I think, to the genre. Um, so that's really um, – I'm very humbled to, 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 to know that. Well, yeah, because like, I, I remember seeing you in the, uh, in the Shockwaves group and thinking, man, this guy's really going for it. And I've been, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And then that was just seeing your website grow just kind of like was was the push. So so thank you for that. Um, Thank you. (laughs) uh, But um, you also mentioned a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that that you do? Yeah. um, So the podcast is I mean, so a couple years ago, I've always I've been doing freelance horror journalism now for about seven or eight years. Ryan. Wow. Yeah, Ryan Turk actually gave me my first gig over when he was still editor for Shock Till You Drop. No way! Oh, really? That's I didn't so realize cool. that. Yeah, um, and you know, funny enough, so I wrote a review for a TV show that he already had a review for, but he liked my style, so he was like, hey, do you want to watch this movie? I need a review for it. And I was like, sure. I, I To this day, I can't remember what the movie was. I, <laughs> I wrote the review, and he wrote me back, and he said, uh, I can't publish this because it it, they're still seeking distribution, and it rips this movie apart. And no. that's when I kind of – that was kind of my first, like, oh, maybe I should not be mean about, like, so many things. Um, and then I kind of learned and grew from there. He's I've always considered him kind of a mentor. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was eight years ago, and I – about like three or four years ago, I I really just decided to like double down and, and go for it. And I was like, I'm really going to put all of my chips into horror. Like this is what mm-hmm. I love. Um, so my best friend, um, we've been, we were actually just talking about it, 11 years we've been best friends now. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, she's also obsessed with with slasher movies and um, – we'd we'd always kind of kick the tires on the idea of doing a podcast and we finally just were like you know what we just need to do it we just need to sit down and record one and once we get going um we'll really like be able to like that'll motivate us to keep going um so we're actually headed up on our two-year anniversary of that too and it's the keep screaming podcast and um it's bi-weekly every two weeks we pick a different slasher movie um and we dissect it um every part of it um so we dissect it from director actors um art music screenwriting and then the actual movie um top to bottom we just go over the entire movie and then we we rank them at the end and that's another one even the movies at the bottom we aren't trying to say they're bad movies it's just we look at how something works as a slasher so um because there's things on there that aren't even like we love Happy Death Day to you. Uh, it's not a great slasher movie, so it's near mm-hmm. like the bottom of our list. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, but we are headed up on two years of that now too. Uh, I think we're about we've never missed a week, and we're about fifty movies in, and we're even wow. covering. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, and we're covering um, American Horror Story since it's slasher this year too. 
Cool. Yeah, I'm doing a uh, recap with Joe with, with Joe Lipset with that. Oh yeah, no, we we read them. We we talk about your guys's recap. We compare your guys's thoughts to ours. <laughs> We're like, oh, what uh, Terry and Joe like? What they think this week? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, so before we get into the movie you brought, we're just going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching and what we want to share. So, um, what have you been watching, Terry? Um, so, well, I want to talk about two things. One is kind of a, like a little caveat, a little note and, um, about, um, if you listened to last episode, we, we had, um, uh, Rob Grant on and he was talking harpoon. And after we stopped recording, the conversation continued a bit and he talked about, the upcoming Blu-ray that's coming out. And I was so upset that we didn't get that, Mary Beth, on <laughs> on the on the, 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 the recording because yeah. he was talking about some of the extras on it and one of the extras they asked him he was doing they did a uh, like a cast or a crew um commentary on it and then they asked him for a director's commentary and he's like, oh, I don't want to watch this movie again. So he basically took mushrooms. And had a psychedelic viewing of it, and he said that he doesn't remember anything about the movie. Um, so him, so it being on there, he doesn't know what he said. So I, I just, I think there's, I think that's one thing that Dread does really good with their releases is that they take these indie films and they give them a lot of like extras. So Harpoon, if you haven't checked it out yet, but you should if you listen to the last episode. And make sure um, to get the Blu-ray, and that's yes. where that commentary, get you the can Blu-ray. find that commentary. And then he also, there's a really good 30-minute uh, kind of behind-the-scenes documentary he's really proud of, too. So, he, of course, he shares some of, like, the, some, like, amazing stuff right after we stopped recording. So. Of course. <laughs> but it was an anecdote too good to pass up. I just exactly. I had to, to toss it in here. Um, and then um, another movie that I watched is, is, it's not old, but it came out this summer. Uh, I finally saw Crawl. Oh, oh my yeah. god, you finally saw it? Yeah, I saw it um, a couple, uh, like a week or so ago, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, a good creature feature. I'm always down for um, aquatic horror. I think aquatic horror is amazing. Um, and so, yeah, have you, have you guys seen seen that one yet? I loved Crawl. Yeah. It yeah. was just, like, so much better than I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but I like um, Alexander Aja, Mm-hmm. Um, he's like kind of hit or miss, obviously, but I like his stuff for the most part. And so I thought, okay, why not? And it was just so much fun. I saw it, unfortunately, like alone at like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, oh, which was probably yeah. not the best way to see it. Cause I was the only person laughing and kind of like having a good time with it. Cause there was so <laughs> few people there, but I still had an amazing time. I think it was great. I think it was a vi- one of those movies where they knew they didn't need a lot of story they just needed a bare bones kind of explanation and then mm-hmm. just to go right to the, the giant alligators. So I loved it. And I, I love the, the heart that was in it. Like the, there was the emotional story beats really worked for me with, with the, the daughter and her kind of semi estranged father. I, I thought that kind of worked really well, but, uh, but yeah, those are the two that I saw. What about you, Mary Beth? So, The one that I want to talk about is In Fabric, which I know has been like kind of talked about a lot, but I finally it finally came to theaters near me, and so In Fabric is uh, Peter Strickland's new film about a haunted dress, basically. And um, have you any of you guys seen it? Have you had the chance? Anyone had the chance to see it? I haven't caught that one yet. Yeah, it's weird. I don't under I don't really know what the distribution is what is happening right now. It was at my like theater in my hometown for like a week, but basically it's wild. Kind of like a giallo, kind of campy, and it was a lot of fun. It was 
his very much his weird style, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I know um, A24 is handling that one. I because I literally just got the press invite for LA, which I can never go to because I don't live there. But I always get the <laughs> I always get the invite, and it's like, yeah. oh, cool, wish I could go. But I think so. It's hitting theaters December six, and then it'll probably hit blue next next year. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know why it was at my theater. I guess there's like been tiny little releases, and then it's going wide. I have no idea. Yeah, but, I know it's playing the uh, the Alamo near me one night for like their October. Uh, you know, every night they do. A yeah, movie. it's hitting there for that one night, and I really would like to try to go see it. It's definitely there's like it's someone exp- someone described it as Suspiria, but with a dress, but like original <laughs> Suspiria, yeah. and that's a really good way to describe it. Um, I wish there had been a little bit more kind of going into the lore behind everything, but at the same time, it was a super entertaining, weird, trippy thing. Um, and I'm so glad I got to catch it in theaters. So cool. that's what I have been watching. Um, Ryan, what about you? Have you watched anything that you want to talk about? Um, I mean, for me, the two big ones that are I mean, obviously the creep show TV show that um, yes. just hit Shutter, yes. the first episode, which I just, I mean, fell in love with right away. Um, I'm a huge fan of comic books, so I've, mm-hmm. I, okay. I actually have always been a big uh, creep show fan. Uh, back in the MySpace days, my name was actually Ryan Creepshow. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Inspired by Ryan Rotten, um, I was like, I want a cool last name. So, yeah, I was, I was Ryan Creepshow. So, uh, really enjoyed the first episode of that. I mean, I love seeing any Stephen King adaptation. Um, and then I thought the second story by Josh Mallerman, who did Bird Box, was uh, very different tonally for most of the Creepshow stuff, but still fit into that universe very well. I actually really enjoyed the way that one was filmed. I, it surprised me that I could get be so like intimidated and so tense from watching inanimate objects. Yeah, the way they handled it, just I loved. She'd look away for a second, and they were changed. I I, I thought it was just really smartly done. Um, and then I know Terry saw this one, um, but Joe Bagos's Bliss. Oh my God! Bliss. Damn it! I'm, like I, that's coming to theaters. Um, this. This Friday, um, near me. And so I think I'm holding out it. to see it until I can see it on a big screen. Please do. Uh, yeah, if you can do. Um, I mean, I've been a fan of Bigos. I, I really liked Almost Human when that dropped in 2014. Um, and I'm I'm a big Graham Skipper fan. Um, Graham and I are like kind of friends online. Um, so when I got this one, I was super stoked. I love vampire movies, and this oh, hell movie, yeah, yeah, this movie rules. Uh, can we curse on this show? I don't know. You can, yes, we sure fucking can. Hell, no, oh yeah, sure fucking yeah, can't. <laughs> cool, because yeah, this movie, <laughs> like uh, as the kids say, this movie fucks. Like, <laughs> um, I it's just, my favorite phrase of all time is like oh, this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, just oh yeah, this fucks. Um, <laughs> I just man, it really hits the gas. It feels so punk rock, gorilla metal, like. I I never knew where it was going, and it just kept tripping me up, and it's yep. so bloody and so, like, psychotropic. Like, I I fell in love with it. I, I mean, I really – I think it's going to be really high up on my list of, like, end of the year. I think it – I'm, like, sitting here crossing fingers that we get some new – like, this kickstarts vampire movement because I, I really like vampire movies. Yeah. Please, please. I just watched Vampire's Kiss, the Nicolas Cage movie today, and I know it's, oh, like, yes. weird, but I just, like, I'm obsessed with vampires, and I want there to be a new vampire movement. Please and thank you so yeah. badly. 
and I love like so I'm a big fan of both styles. Like I love Victorian era. Like uh, the first one of the first horror movies I ever saw was 1931's Dracula, um, and I okay. I, I really love Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Um, so I like the an interview with the vampire, all great. But I also really like the raw, like visceral, like uh, 28 Days Later, uh, or or no, 30 Days of Night. Sorry, 30 Days of Night. Oh my God! Yes, yes, yes. yes, Just talking about that one. I talk about it. I think I've talked about it every episode we've recorded so far. (laughs) I think so. Hilarious, and I will figure never to stop talking about it. It's an amazing movie. Super under Josh Hartnett, Ben Foster. I mean, the cast is incredible. Um, I love that movie too. But yeah, so I hope this like if. Anyone listening, it's, you know, if you can't see it in theaters, definitely do. But if not, VOD, just go watch it. Support indie horror, but also it's just an incredible. And, the, uh, and you know, you get Graham Skipper, um, you get uh, Jeremy Gardner. So you get, like, all your little indie horror yep. people. It's super fun. That third act, man. I'll tell you what, that third act just goes for broke. Dude, it's great. That movie, like, like I said, I just kept, I mean, I've been watching horror movies now for 28 years or whatever. And, like. I know the beats pretty well, and that one just kept. I was like, "What? What's happening? This is insane!" <laughs> it's, I can't it's, wait it's crazy. to see it. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Okay, so talked about now. Let's go back to the past. Yeah. Ryan, what movie did you bring with you today? Yeah. Um. So the movie that I brought uh, to the table is the 1975 uh, classic, in my opinion, the best movie ever made, Jaws. Hmm. Perfect. So, well, just for listeners who haven't seen Jaws, and I'm so sorry you haven't, please remedy that. We'll get you up to speed before we dive in to this, like, the horror aspects. So, um, um, here on Scarred for Life, we've been on a kind of a Steven Spielberg kick for the past few weeks. We talked about Poltergeist, Arachnophobia. He produced both um, with Rob Grant. We talked about Indiana Jones. And we're going to keep that going with the 1975 classic, like Ryan said, Jaws. Um, So this takes place in the fictional beach town of Amity Island, where summer is in full swing, which means lots of tourists and lots of money. But that's all on the brink of falling apart when a massive great white shark begins snacking on unsuspecting swimmers. Police Chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, wants to close the beaches, but the mayor refuses, especially with the 4th of July coming up. Brody forces the issue, and the town offers $3,000 to the local fishermen, who eventually kill a tiger shark, and the town is saved. Except not. And eventually, Chief Brody, new-to-town marine biologist Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, and eccentric fisherman Quint, Robert Shaw, end up on a barely seaworthy ship to take down the giant shark. Drinking, story-swapping, and chumming, both literal and figurative, abound. Hooper gets in his cheap cage, the ship sinks, Mad Ahab... I mean, Quint gets bitten in half, and Chief Brody gets to look super cool as he shouts his most iconic line and blows the shark out of the water. So, Ryan, what scared you the most? Like, what scenes, scene or scenes, scared you the most in Jaws? Um, I mean, so I love the movie as a whole, but definitely the scenes that really, really frightened me. I mean, that 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 opening scene where Chrissy Watkins is you know, skinny dipping and um, being pursued by a boy who is too drunk to get into the water with her. And she is attacked by this unknown, unseen assailant. Um, You know, we're getting those shots of her from underwater. We're seeing her, like, thrashed around violently. Um, She grabs onto the buoy. She's still carried away. And then eventually they find her remains. That 
I saw this movie when I was four years old. Oh my god! I was just gonna ask, how old were you? Yeah, I also saw it when I was four. (laughs) Yeah, so I was four years old. So like, um, and I I also saw it on TV originally. So it's not like I saw. Oh. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see like a box. I didn't see a poster. I'm just sitting there watching this thing that's on TV (laughs) called Jaws. I don't know. It's about a shark. I'm four years old. So. Uh, like you know i i what this woman is being murdered and i do i don't understand how and then it's not until you know obviously we know the shark is is there but then for me like that scene where brody is chumming the waters and we see for the really the first time like that full headshot of jaws emerging yeah scared the shit out of me man um and then Quint going down to Quint getting eaten. And that whole scene is so harrowing and like super traumatic. And the, I mean, just to top it all off, like why this movie like scared the shit out of me. I'm not kidding you. I got done watching it. My mom walks downstairs with my little brother and she's like, what are you doing? We're going to the lake. Get ready. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. And my four year old brain can't comprehend that sharks aren't in lakes. And right. so we went to the lake and. I, I'm to this day I cannot swim in water that I can't see under me. Like if I can't see uh. under me, I because immediately in my head my body becomes the poster to Jaws. Like that's what I <laughs> oh, see in my head okay. if I'm swimming right. in, in any water. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because um I don't remember exactly how old I was when I saw this movie. It was kind of a blur, um, but I I might have been that young. I know I was young. Um, and I know I saw it before I saw some R-rated movies like Alien, and when I and I saw that when I was eight. So somewhere between that time frame, I saw this movie, and I lived in Alaska, and even still, we had we had like indoor swimming pools in Alaska, and I was taking swimming lessons, and I did not want to swim on my back because I didn't want to see what was underneath me. I was afraid there was going to be a shark there. So I completely understand <laughs> that feeling. I also had that fear of sharks coming in a pool and yeah. also in my bathtub and in my toilet. Oh. After seeing Jaws. I don't I, I understand how irrational that is. But any <laughs> any water meant a shark could come out. I and like in my small person brain, I didn't know. But right. I just all I could imagine was like a shark somehow coming up out of my bathtub in an indoor pool, in a any kind of pool, in a toilet. Yeah. I just like water terrified me i couldn't go swimming at the beach for years yeah, yeah no, i was I'm... lucky that i didn't have beaches around me sorry Ryan, go ahead <laughs> oh no it's okay i was just gonna say i i yeah i've never been i can't do beaches i just i i don't want to swim and like i tell people i have an illogical fear of sharks because i understand now that it is illogical like they give me everyone always rattles off statistics they're like oh you blah 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 and i'm like it, it's an illogical fear i understand that it's not logical like it doesn't make any sense i know that i have a better chance of getting like hit by lightning or winning lottery than i do of getting eaten by a shark but in my brain it's the one like my brain goes you're the one you're the one that's <laughs> going to get eaten by the shark and- Logic doesn't really matter because, um, as you will know by now, uh, if you listen to the previous episodes, I am deathly terrified of spiders. And I understand that most spiders are not going to hurt me, and it has really nothing to do with that. I just I cannot stand seeing them on the TV. I can't stand seeing pictures of them. So I completely understand that, that fear, 100%. And so, Ryan, you are talking about the beginning when she gets killed. The part that really freaked me out was when they found, I think it was her arm with the crabs on it. Yep, yep. That, yep. that scared the absolute shit out of me because 
I feel like in certain in horror movies you don't really see the blood or anything and because it was dark you kind of can rationalize it away and not think about the violence or the death but then you see her body part covered in crabs and it just becomes very real very fast and um that really got to me and this was a film that my grandfather thought that it was fine for her to show me when he was babysitting me when I was four <laughs> and then my mom was so mad for so long because I wouldn't go swimming in the ocean at the beach and she right. was like, you're supposed to love the beach. You love to swim. And I'm like, not anymore. And so, and it's so, so this is actually pretty funny because I used to work um, on Shark Week for Discovery Channel. And Did I, you I, really? Yeah. So I used to like do a lot of work with sharks and I actually ended up swimming with sharks recently. And it all kind oh. of came full circle where my fear of sharks became this very big passion and love for sharks because it became an obsession of mine because I have OCD so a lot of my fears like I get obsessed with and mm -hmm. I try to rationalize them and in some cases it doesn't actually work out but in this case I actually kind of like got over it which was nice but that's not going to happen for everyone obviously but yeah what's that called um immersive immersion therapy yeah, immer right? yeah. Immersion therapy. yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think I could do it no I um <laughs> and it's strange like I love I love sharks like I obviously because uh, I'm a normal human being with a good heart like i don't ever want people to kill sharks like i understand mm -hmm. that sharks are yeah not yeah like it breaks my heart when i see videos of like people just killing sharks for the sake of killing sharks it's awful um even though i'm terrified of them um but people like i know a lot about sharks because i was a very nerdy child so my way of so irrationalizing my fear was reading up on it i was like i'm gonna learn everything about sharks so I know where they are, and I know how to beat them, and I know their weaknesses. <laughs> and so, um, you know, like, I, I was also a comic book kid, so I was like, everything has a weakness. Uh, yes. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, dolphins, I'm friends with dolphins, they beat up sharks, and uh, I can, yeah, and I can no poke protection. it in the eye. Exactly. So uh, I know a lot about sharks, and I, ha like, kind of like you, I, I have actually become kind of obsessed with, like, I'll watch every shark movie. I watch Shark Week obviously all the time, and people are always like, "Aren't you terrified of them?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but like of Jaws in particular, not like yeah, it's an illogical fear." Again, like I don't, I know that Jaws is not in the ocean, but I'm afraid of Jaws really more than a shark per se. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it, it's interesting. I want I want to kind of piggyback off both of your your points. Um, when I was a kid. This movie affected me to the point that if I if a shark documentary was on television, I wouldn't want to leave my couch because I was afraid the shark would get me on the ground. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I imagined myself in like the cage, and I was like, I can't leave. The so I would sit there and I would watch the entire documentary because I wouldn't be able to get up. Um, so there's that, and it's it's interesting that uh, I had a kind of a different trajectory. I wanted to be a marine biologist after this movie. I wanted to go out there on the oh. sea and be Matt Hooper. I wanted to go study sharks. I wanted to go swim with them. And I'm a little jealous of you, Mary Beth, because I have a story. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, back in the early 2000s, uh, some of my friends, one of my friends was in the military. She was in the Navy, and she was stationed at Pearl Harbor out in Hawaii. And so she was. it was like her last year. She was getting out. And so we were like, okay, we're going to go visit you because we have a place to crash. All we had to really pay for was, you know, the, the trip there. And so we get there and she's like, well, what do you guys want to do? And the only thing I wanted to do, I was like, I don't care what we do, but I want to go in a cage with sharks hmm. in the water. And we found a cage. We found a person that would take you out. And they had a cage out there and we'd go in, and you'd be able to go in the water. Um, but it was so windy while we were there that the only time we could do it was the day before we left. 
So the four of us go out on a boat. We go out there. We go out to the cage. And it was uh, two of my friends were, like, together. And so they were going to go in together in the cage because it was two people at a time. Okay. And then there was me and my friend uh, Jamie, who was the one we were visiting. And then there was another couple that we didn't know because they sent, you know, a whole bunch of people out. So Jamie freaked out, and she was going to go with me. So she she was like, can we go can we go last? I was like, okay, that's fine. And so my two friends go in, and they have a great time. They got some great pictures. And, I mean, we're not talking, like, huge sharks. I, think I was going to say, was, what, like, kind some, sharks, what kind of there sharks? There was nurse there? sharks, I know. Like, okay. I mean, it were, it were nothing really, really scary. Um, and then the other two assholes went. And no. <laughs> so the cage had, like, plexiglass. And they kicked out the plexiglass. In what? Front. How? Yes. I don't know. But the pe- plexiglass broke. And he pulled the thing up. And he was like, oh, well. Because it, it had a big gap in it. Like, it wasn't a small little little gap. It was a big one. A shark could get through. And so he's like, well, this is too unsafe to do it anymore. And so we had to leave. And Terry, it was the day before we left. I'm and so I sorry. did not get to go in the water with sharks. <laughs> Oh, that's the worst. That's the, oh, I'm so sorry. So not to brag, when I went, when I went diving with sharks, I did free diving. I didn't have a cage. Oh no, that's exciting. Um, and it was my first time ever snorkeling and I was at the Bahamas. It was one of my, my, one of my friends, um, her husband is a shark researcher in the Bahamas. Oh my gosh. Um, so I got, I went to go visit them and I went swimming. We were looking for hammerheads, um, cause they research, ha- it's a uh, hammerhead breeding ground down there, um, in the, in Bimini in the Bahamas. And so like Bimini is basically like a deserted Island. You think the Bahamas, it's cute. It's gorgeous, but you have to take to fly into Nassau and then f- take a tiny plane to Bimini and like, there's no grocery store. So mm-hmm. you're basically on a deserted Island, which is really, but which is really cool. And there's this like amazing marine life. So we went swimming and actually a hammerhead swam up off the bottom and came up to me and bumped my leg. Oh, wow. Which was really cool and kind of horrifying. Well, yeah. But he was, they were very nice. Um, yeah, it was really cool. That's Ryan's that's probably like, what in the hell? No, yeah. Everything you're saying is giving me anxiety. It just sounds like, <laughs> I just, mm-hmm. like if I, Terry, if I were you, I would have been like, well, that was fate telling me not to get in that water. <laughs> because obviously I, no, the I, shark would have ate me. <laughs> and it was actually the opposite for me because I was trying to argue with the man about letting me go in by myself. <laughs> please, sir. Please. So, Terry, please let me have you lose your license if I get bit. <laughs> Terry, what scene or scenes like, stuck out to you when you were younger when you saw Jaws? So the scene that really got me the most... Um, well, there was two. One was um, when the shark gets in the uh, the, the pond area, ah, yeah. oh. and the guy falls off the boat, and you just see under the water the shark on its side just, like, yeah. coming in. That, like, blew my mind as a kid. And then you see just the leg falling down to the to the bottom of the of the ocean. I was like, oh, God, that, that hit me. And then, of course, the jump scare that they had to add in later um, with where they're under the water, and they find that the head yep. pops out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, I didn't know they had to add that. They did. So um, they were while they were doing the editing, um, they realized that it had been a while before they had a scare. And so they reshot that scene, and Steven Spielberg paid his own money for it because the studio would not allow reshoots. And they did it in a pool in the backyard of someone's house. Oh. And they added, like, they had, like, a stunt double in for, um, you know, the police. Are they coming to get you? Sorry. 
<laughs> um, they had a stunt double for uh, for Hooper um, that was doing it, and they put like milk powder or something in the water to give it that kind of yeah, it's powdered milk. Powdered milk, yeah. It's I think one of the most effective scares. I think it's I can't imagine the movie without it. I agree yeah, with you. I love that they threw that that Spielberg like recognized the movie needed that. It was after they did test screenings because there was such a big jump um, from when Brody when the shark is behind Brody when he's chumming and he, but while the test screenings were happening, he realized he's like, we need another like jump scare like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had, of course, at that point gone from a $4 million movie to a $9 million movie (laughs) because of um, running for so long. I mean, the shoot ended up being, it was supposed to be like 50 days. It was 159 days. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. They were way over um, budget and way over time. Um, And so the studio straight up was like, uh, no. So he paid out of his own pocket to add that in. And then of course they didn't care because the movie ended up going to be the most successful movie ever made. So like, or like (laughs) at that time until star Wars two years later. So, so Ryan, you said that this is the best movie ever made. Why? Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) Tell us, tell us why you think that it's so it's interesting. Um, it's not my, it's not my favorite movie. It's close. It's, it's almost one of my favorite movies. Scream is my favorite all time favorite movie. Okay. Um, and so, like, if you catch me on the right day, it might be Halloween. Um, okay. But those two, those two kind of, like, switch back and forth. But I do think that Jaws is the – like, when I think of a perfect movie, um, I think of Jaws. Uh, okay. And I think the reason Jaws is so perfect is uh, there's so many things. One, I think to land on a perfect movie like this, you need that kind of unforeseen circumstance. Um mm-hmm. Like, the fact that uh, they had to craft us. John Williams had to craft that score because Spielberg couldn't use the shark, so he needed a cue so people would understand when the shark was around. That's why they got that iconic score. Um, Mm -hmm. The shark's malfunctioning all the time allowed Spielberg to go. He he even says it would have been more like a Ray Harryhausen flick if the sharks had worked properly, but since they didn't, they had to go more Hitchcock, where it was Mm -hmm. you weren't seeing most of what was happening. Um, and and then I also just think the fact that he was smart enough um, and naive enough to do certain things. I mean, you know, he had only done Sugarland Express up to this point, um, and that wasn't even out by the time he landed Jaws. And he was so very young and very uh, bullheaded, so he thought, yeah, I can film on the ocean. It was the first movie ever filmed on the ocean. <laughs> And that doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't happen very much anymore because it's so chaotic and so unpredictable. But I do think that there's something about it actually being filmed in Martha's Vineyard on the ocean that gives it a look and aesthetic that are almost impossible to capture, even with all of the technology that we have nowadays, because it looks so authentic. I completely Um, agree. Yeah, I mean, even just rewatching it, like, all of the beach scenes, everything they do, all of the town stuff, all of the fairy stuff, like, it feels so real, and it's because they were actually there. And then I also, um, I love his decision to stay away from big-name actors. Um, mm-hmm. The studio the studio also, um, like, they, they wanted him to cast name actors, but he was like, okay, I will, but not big name so instead he chose people like Roy Scheider who had only really um, starred at that point in the French Connection um, was his big one um, Richard Dreyfus had been getting buzz from um, 
uh, like uh, I mean, he he was suggested to Spielberg because of Lucas and American Graffiti, um, but he had mm-hmm. just finished another film that wasn't even out yet, but was getting good buzz. And then Robert Shaw, who was well known, but was also like kind of on the lam, weirdly enough, um, mm-hmm. he was having yes. a, he was evading taxes, so he really wasn't uh, like anytime they weren't shooting, he'd fly back to Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very it's all very bizarre, but I think it, it like. What happened is it just was like all these weird things came to it was a perfect storm it and it's so hard to capture that um so I think there's just like the perfect amount of human drama uh which is funny because some critics when it came out actually knocked it for the human scenes being like boring, but I think the human scenes are some like. The scene where Brody is sitting at the kitchen table with his son is one I of the... I made a note oh of that. Oh, my God. I yeah. love so that, glad that you're scene that so up. much. It's one of the most intimate, like, sincere scenes I've ever seen in a movie because it's really... It's the two of them, but it's about his wife watching them. Um, yes. Like, that's what that scene is about, is the worry that she has for her husband and her family. Um, and so that scene is so real and intimate. I think... Um, Dreyfus is perfect as Hopper his neuroses that shows through um, so brilliantly um, Shaw basing his characters Shaw literally based his character on people in Martha's Vineyard so like that eccentricity was pulled from real life people um, I mean just every little thing they did the mayor like um, you know I that line that he delivers so perfectly of you know people yell barracuda right. but people yell shark yeah, shark yeah yep. We got a panic on the 4th of July. So it's. I think it has a, a really just the right amount of all these elements, human drama, levity, like anytime they're drinking together, anytime it's almost like a buddy cop movie, um, and then just this really ominous, dreadful terror, and they all – it all came together, and there's just like I said, there's so many things. You know, they tapped Carl Gottlieb uh, is credited for the screenplay based on the Peter Benchley book, which Peter Benchley also wrote. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Spielberg also had parts. They ad libbed a lot. Roy Scheider's line "You're going to need a bigger boat" was ad libbed. Um, Robert Shaw ad libbed a ton of his parts. Um, they brought in. I know they brought in. Um, a playwright to help with some of the yes. dialogue. Um, Howard Sackler was brought in with the dialogue. So there's just all these little things to create this like perfect. I just think it's like a perfect movie because it, it's tense, it's real, it's it's scary, it's funny. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I fall in love with it more every time I watch it. So I, I wanted to piggyback. Um, you you mentioned uh, Vaughn, the mayor. So um, watching it this time. I, I realize just how duplicitous he is. Um, mm-hmm. And I realize that there's one brief shot. Have, well, have you guys read the book? I have. I have not read the book, no. So um, I, I read the book a whole lot when I was a kid. Um, and I used to love it. And now I think it's not very good. I agree. Um, it is not very good. What is the title of the book? Jaws. It's Jaws. Oh, it's just Jaws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's, there's so much that Peter eventually added in with, like uh, – Ellen Brody is having an affair with Hooper. Oh. Um, and a- Amity is basically a front for the mafia. Oh. Yes. And and uh, Larry Vaughn is, he doesn't want to close the beaches because he owes money to the mafia and they're going to come and basically kill him if he doesn't pay. So there's like a whole lot of that kind of sub story. But what what I thought was interesting, and I, I caught it for the first time, this this watch is 
there's a scene in the very beginning where you see uh, Vaughn Realty. And I think it's the only time that it's mentioned that he is in Realty. So I think that there probably is still some of that semblance of that, that subplot. It's just not, you know, spoken out loud. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, like, even there's that scene on the boat where the medical examiner. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, the medical examiner has already told Brody it's a shark. And then under pressure from Vaughn, he's like, well, no, it was probably a boat motor. He's like, you told me it was a shark. It's not. It's a boat motor. Well, and and they they get, like, he gets his whole posse together that includes the medical examiner. It includes uh, the the local paper, Mm -hmm. the reporter guy. And they basically browbeat him into accepting it that it's a propeller thing. And I just, I can't help but think about fake news. Oh. Yeah. All in the name of some extra money because of the tourist season. Yeah. And, I mean, in the the book, the uh, the reporter even has a bigger, uh, like, cover-up. He covers up a lot. Um a lot more than in the in the movie but even in the movie he makes that comment to Vaughn about burying it as deep as he can in terms of the ad for the, the three thousand dollars he's like i'm gonna run in the back with the grocery ads so even even in the movie and, and like a limited release limited part he's still covering up for the guy and that's carl gottlieb too fun fact yeah the screenwriter for the film um and i and i know um benchley's in it too somewhere he pops in um, so Spielberg brought both of them in, but yeah, I told and like there's that part too where the the frenzy is happening in the in the news office, and that's what they say. Like you hear someone say, "We, you know, th- she's running it in other cities and or, mm-hmm. or in other towns because like they can't now it's out of their control." Right, and then even when they kill the tiger shark, and he's like, oh, "I want to get a picture. I want to send it to the AP. I want to send it to the UPI. I want to send it to all these. Send it as far as Boston." He wants everyone to know, "Oh, that it's over. The tragedy is over. We are good to go. We are not going to be eaten here at Amity." I, it's 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 insane. Yeah, that's another one of those scenes too that just like. It's it's funny, like, I mean, the movie, especially when you're four years old, this movie hits, like, real hard as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I will fight anyone who tells me this is not a horror movie, uh, by the me way. Me too, forever and ever. Yeah. And when people that. are like, oh, Jaws isn't a horror movie, I'm like, no. And it, what's funny now, especially, to tangent a little bit, I was actually thinking about it, because, Terry, I know you're a huge fan of Hereditary. Um, I am also a very huge fan of Hereditary. And, and so Hereditary, in particular, is one for me that I think it stands out, but a lot of what A24 does in general, that when people come to me and they're like, oh, Jaws is like a drama with like – and it has like scary moments or like it's an action movie. Uh, like I think of Hereditary when people compare it to a drama because I'm like, so is Hereditary. Like that movie yep. is a family drama straight up. Yep. But it has scenes of terror in it and like there's no way you – like – I mean, she's literally, like, crawling on the wall and through the air. So, like, mm-hmm. obviously that's a horror movie. And when people are like, well, Jaws isn't a horror movie, I'm like, it's a giant shark eating people. It is yeah, 100% a horror movie. Like, this isn't Sharknado. You know, this isn't, like, it's not a comedy. It's not It's not using giant sharks for the sake of using giant sharks. Like, he has a kill count. It's a very real horror movie. Yeah. Um, it's very dreadful. It's like the kind of film that I like to use the word dread for because, again, we don't really see the shark. But, you know, the moment where the two fishermen get pulled off with and he's like holding onto the tire. Oh, yeah. And, and he just tells him he's like, I'm just tell- don't look back. Just swim. Yeah. Just swim. And yep. so like those scenes, especially in the dark, are just so full of dread. And you don't really know. Like, you know what's underwater, but you don't really know at the same time. And it's horrifying. I mean, yeah. 
And that's another good, and it's even you have the nighttime aspects, but there's also, you know, at the beach. And it's another good example of daytime horror, which has been talked about quite a lot with Midsommar coming out this summer. Mm -hmm. It is another daytime horror movie. Things are happening. People are playing at the beach and having a great time. And then all of a sudden, people get sucked under. Absolutely. That scene with Alex Kintner, that's another thing, too, like I I wanted to point out was um, there are two, like, there are two impactful death scenes within the first like 16 minutes of this movie um yep. like you kind of forget how fast jaws hits the pedal right. um yeah like I, I every time i'm like wow that seems like the alex kintner scene in my head is always much later in the movie but i'm like oh no it happens very quickly it really does i i, I also was always remembering it to be like a climactic scene but not necessarily it's like very much at the i mean beginning. it's it's kind of the inciting incident of the of mm-hmm. the, yeah. the first act and I, I think that's what I admire so much about from a script perspective and from Steven Spielberg in particular is that the, uh, he's really good at economy of plot. So he gets things going. You know, it's like he follows the, the, the screenwriting guide to a T in terms of like, well, this is when this should hit. This is when this should hit. And it, because of that, it books. And it, you don't realize that it's so quick that all this shit is happening. And then we're off to the races. Mm-hmm. And then so like. What I was saying, too, is as a kid, it's a horror, like, true horror. And now, like, it's mm-hmm. – I feel like it hits in a different way. It's still horrific, but in, like, in really tragic ways. So the yeah. scene where Alex Kintner's mother approaches Brody Oh, my Brody God. On I was going to bring that up, too. That scene where she slaps him and, like, literally the whole crowd is just quiet. And it just guts me now. Yeah, it kills me. And, like, it's heartbreaking. And so, like, that entire scene, too, is horrific in this whole other way of, like – that's where I think this movie excels is showing the hu- like the real human mm-hmm. side of, of this horror. As, and even when she's calling his name standing in the water and you just see his yellow float. Yeah. The way that they're able to convey this violence without having it be as gory as it could have been. Also super harrowing. Right. And uh, it's it's interesting now that we're talking about it as, as like an adult because this time watching it the most intense scene for me was actually the talk about the USS Indianapolis. Oh, oh yes. Especially because I, mean, I feel like when you're a kid, you have no idea what the hell that is. Right. You're just like, can we get back to the shark parts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about but this like, weird old guy talking about a boat. Like, <laughs> Right. But like, once you start to like hear him talk and, and I, I was listening, I was watching at lunch today, like a behind the scenes, uh, do, like almost documentary where they were interviewing people. And I guess the first time they filmed it, he was like, I'm going to get, I'm going to have a couple of drinks beforehand. And they had to like wheel him on because he was so drunk and it was in Jesus. impossible to understand him. So they had to film it again. And then they kind of spliced the two together. Mm. But it's, it's such a powerful scene. Uh, just when you, when you hear the way he's talking about it, it's so, he has so much charisma in that moment that it's just, it just really was like a gut punch for me. And have you guys ever actually researched the USS Indianapolis? Yeah, a I little have, bit. A little bit. Oh man, it's really like it's really tragic. It, I mean, um, do you want to talk about it a little bit the Indianapolis? Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, the ship was struck by a torpedo and it went down, and three three hundred people died initially with the ship. They went down um, out of about twelve hundred, so there were nine hundred people left. Four days went by before anyone even found them. 
Um, it is, and they the, had just delivered the bomb, right? Yes, they had just delivered the, the bomb, um, and then they were struck by a, a Japanese um, torpedo, and they went down. It was four days until anyone found them. It was just a, a, a patrol ship on routine, so it was that long in between. You know, obviously the ocean is huge, so it takes forever to go through places. Um, well, and, and because four, it was so, sorry, because oh, it was good. so. Um, um, secret of a mission. No one. There was no distress call. Right. There was. There was nothing because they were pretty much like didn't exist. Yeah. Um. And so four days went by, and so uh, it was about eleven hundred ninety-five people. Three hundred, about estimated, went down with the ship. And between the four days on the ocean, it dwindled from nine hundred. There were th- I, it's three hundred and like sixty-five survivors. Yeah, yeah something like it's that. Ridiculously small. Uh, yeah, it's the largest. Um, and they account a lot of it, obviously, to like dehydration. A lot of them mm-hmm. killed themselves or other members from hallucinations, um, but also um, tiger sharks. Uh, yeah. It was tiger sharks and oceanic white tips because yes. um, oceanic white tips are kind of like scavengers of the ocean, and they they swim and they really inhabit open water, and so they don't really get a lot of food. So when they, you know, when there's blood in the water and they can sense that there, you know, is prey, they, they are kind of picking people off. And so people, you know, got upset about the sharks, but, it, you know, it's kind of in their their nature, unfortunately. Their nature. Yeah. yeah. And in the in the documentary I was watching, I, I skipped ahead to, to this part because I was really curious if they were going to address it. They had a couple survivors on in this in this thing, and they were talking about how, you know, everyone was all together, but some people would, would, would hallucinate and swim out, and that's when the sharks would get them. Oh, no. Or, like, it would bite someone's arm, and sometimes they would fight them off, and sometimes they wouldn't. And it's just... It's it's that it's that story that just is like oh can you, I just can't imagine floating out there for that many for that long and just knowing that you're not you're probably not going to be saved and just the, the terror of that moment is just ugh. and Shaw delivers that monologue so perfectly it Perfect, it would have been yeah. so easy to gloss over like oh we know this ship went down and like we could we could even make up this stuff like we a yeah. ship went down in the ocean you could assume sharks start eating people but like yep. the fact that it is based on this real ship and that Shaw was able to perfectly like his story i think nails it like the the oh it's so terrifying and like just the way that he's going through and talking about you know the, the sun would go down and then you the sun would come up and there'd be less people um and as a again as a kid i remember the only thing i took away from that my brothers and i used to like joke around all the time and we'd we'd, we'd look at each other and we'd go like doll's eyes um <laughs> because that that line was yeah. so like yeah. it sticks out but now i watch That's it i like, remember too as a kid yeah and i watch it we made fun of it as a kid and now i watch it, i'm like that line is fucking horrifying yeah. like that like the when he hits when he finally hits with it it's so so harrowing yeah, he just really he really sells that, and and the fact that the camera just lingers on his face as he's telling it, mm-hmm. it's just, I it's it's an amazing performance. It is probably one of the best performances I've I've seen in in movies, to be perfectly honest. And that it's scene. it's funny because my cousin's name is Quint, not after him, oh. <laughs> but for his first birthday we had um a sailor themed birthday party for him, and we we had pictures of Quint all like Captain Quint all over the party. That's amazing. <laughs> and we had Narragansett beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic yeah that is awesome so yep <laughs> um and the original what's what's cool about quint too is like i mean uh, the ahab p- 
terrible is like uh, very obvious but um in the original script he was he went down by being dragged down with a harpoon through his leg it was yeah. like a direct callback yeah, to ahab amazing though very on the nose it still would have been amazing <laughs> well the ending of the book is just terrible in my opinion um do, i don't do i don't really i know hopper dies or hooper yeah. dies i know hooper gets eaten and I know Quint, Quint goes down with a harpoon, but that's all I, yes. re- I remember about the end. So the boat sinks, and Brody's in the water, and he's like basically praying to the to the god, to his god, that you know, that make it quick, make it quick, because the shark is coming toward him. And then as the shark is moving toward him, it just sinks. The shark sinks. The shark just sinks. What? Because he was stabbed by a harpoon, and it just he bled out and died, and wow. that's how. <laughs> And that's how um, Quint gets dragged down with them because he's still attached to him from the harpoon. And he finally just dies from blood loss. And that's the end of the book. Oh, that's really lame. It's so dumb. I know the <laughs> movie had... Jaws wasn't supposed to explode at the end of the movie. Like, Spielberg put that in because he was like, we need something bigger. Like, we, yeah. need, a, we need a bigger payoff for the audience after pulling them through this... Um, through like all this terror we need to pay off for them and peter benchley is on record saying that he hated he he hated that he, when when he was when it was proposed to him he's like that doesn't make any sense that's not how it would work it's not going to blow up and steven spielberg's remark was something to the effect i've had him for two hours they're going to believe this last three minutes smile you son of a bitch yes wow it's so good i yeah i i love spielberg spielberg's one of my all-time favorite directors too and it's definitely i mean jaws is definitely one of the reasons why um it's just it's so rare to like i mean i know he had sugarland express and everything but like this is his you know big first feature and just i don't know to just to get it so right it's amazing and also i sometimes i think about it and i'm like that sucks because now you're the guy who has to follow up jaws like right. yeah. i feel that way for um jordan peele sometimes i'm like mm. when he got when he may get out i was like that sucks for you uh same yeah. with ari aster i'm like ari okay aster, yep. good luck dude um and i think they've all done successful things but like mm-hmm. it's it's still just so hard to replicate something like that it's hard when you come out the gate with something that is basically a masterpiece Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I do think it is, it, it is as close to perfect as a movie can be. Mm-hmm. So, Ryan, was this a film that got you into the horror genre? You know what? It's not. It's not um, okay. Yeah, it was. It, um, so I actually got into the horror genre through comic books. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, at the like Tales I, from the Crypt or stuff or no so I was again I, at four years old I um, somehow convinced my mom to buy me a, an X Men comic book um, oh and it was X Men number one fifty nine which is X Men versus Dracula oh, oh. yeah cool. and um, I fell in love with both at the same time I fell in love with horror and comic books on the same day and oh, that's um, awesome yeah and my mom was it's weird like my mom was strict ish like. I had no bedtime as a kid, and, like, mm-hmm. I could play video games all night as long as I, like, went to school and did things, like, kept my grades up. But I couldn't play, like, rated mature video games mm-hmm. or watch rated R movies. Um, so it was funny, like, growing up, all the kids wanted to spend the night at my house, even though we couldn't watch rated R movies or play or, like, do mature video games because my mom let us stay up all night. Oh, and yeah. that was much more enticing as children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. But she was kind of strict with movies. I fell in love with horror movies, but she she didn't watch horror movies, so she didn't know what was appropriate or not. So oh. her rule was anything that's black and white. Oh, oh. boy. Oh, that 
Yeah. Still a lot of possibilities there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I stuck it out with Universal, and so 1931's Dracula is the movie that yeah. sucked me in. Cool. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was the movie that made me fall in love with horror, and it just grew from there. Um, it's not even close to my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I have a nostalgic love for it. It's not even my favorite Universal. That's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, cool. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was that was the one that got me. But Jaws is Jaws is, like, one of those ones that, like, I remember it terrifying me as a kid, and then when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, I don't know. I maybe it scared me too much that mm. I was like, yeah, I don't want to watch anything like this uh, okay. if it's going <laughs> to scare me that bad. But right. now, now I just think it's it's masterclass. And what kind of what horror comics would you recommend to someone who wants to get into comics that love horror? Um, you know, Hellboy is a really, really fun entry into yeah. horror comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love all the folklore stuff. I'm a, like, I'm really into, like, legends and folklore and mythology, so Hellboy does, like, a lot of really cool stuff there. Um, if you want something that's actually really scary, I would suggest checking out Scott Snyder's Severed. Um, oh my god, his- Severed is so good, and it's only one like, trade paperback issue. Yeah, So it's I super easy Severed. to get into. Um, that one was really good. I really like all of. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Snyder fan, so American Vampire was yeah, also like I was. Too. Yeah, I was really into American Vampire. Have um, you guys read Witches? Yeah. Yes, also I Scott Snyder and Jock. Yep. Jock. Yeah. His art. His art is amazing. Um, Joe Hill's Lock and Key. I was a really oh, big yeah. fan of, and mm, that one's that. like really kind of weird. And um, yeah, those are some of my favorites. And I do really enjoy going back and reading like uh old tales from the crypt like mm-hmm. ec comics and also marvel unlimited's a great uh i have a column on dread we'll see after the news that broke today i don't know if i still have a column on dread but um i i have a column on dread that's called horror unlimited and i go i just go back and i read old horror comics on yep. the marvel unlimited app um so you know the tomb of dracula man thing cool. um son of satan uh, werewolf by night all of those are just like super fun old school horror comics also plugging if you didn't really like 30 days of night the movie i recommend the graphic novel the graphic novel is really amazing good. and the art style um by temple steven oh temple, temple smith yeah temple yeah, smith. yeah 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 absolutely beautiful weird like watercolor-y abs- almost abstract art um it's just an absolutely gorgeous graphic novel and there's a series of them but you can read one and the first one is, like, the the first movie contained. After that movie came out, I went, like, on an IDW tear. And like, <laughs> yeah, they me too. Because pr- they, like, produced a whole bunch of, like, horror comics. Yeah. I loved that that, that comic series. That was really good. That's a really cool X-Files 30 Days of Night crossover series, <laughs> which is, like, my two favorite things smashed together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that about wraps us up. Um, thank you, Ryan, for joining us to talk about Jaws. Um, so where can the listeners find you, and do you have anything you want to plug that's happening soon? Um, yes. Yeah, so you can find me online. I mean, you anywhere. I'm at Ryan Larson on Twitter. Um, I'm at Ryan writes left on Instagram or, um, at ghastly grinning on both of those as well at screaming cast for the podcast. Um, ghastly grinning is launching its own podcast in within the next month. That's going to be, um, kind of, I I'm pitching it as it's a late night style to horror podcast. So, um, the first half of it will be like kind of like games and um, just like little segments. Awesome. And then the last half will be interviews. But I am specifically trying to interview people that don't get enough credit, mainly journalists. Cool. Um, yeah. So I have a lot of journalists lined up. Um, I know 
Anya Stanley's going to be on. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I would love both of you on. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, Molly Henry's going to be on. Um, so just a lot of, like, really awesome – Nat Bremer is one of my all-time favorite writers in the horror genre. So um, they'll be popping in and out. And then um, I'm working on – this is the one I'm really passionate about um, – I'm working on a charity event called Horror Heals, um, and I'm working alongside uh, Stop the Stigma, which is a charity uh, fundraiser that um, they are – everything they do is about normalizing mental health and destigmatizing mental health. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and so they um, – all of their um, – uh, profits and proceeds go to helping people who don't have access to mental health. It goes towards helping families understand mental health. Um, just any, uh, I know they do like um, therapy sessions for people who have no means. Um, and also they put out a lot of like literature and um, just a lot of stuff online, just like kind of breaking it down and trying to make it part of the everyday vernacular and conversation, make it okay to talk about mental health. Um, so I'm working alongside them with a project called Horror Heals, where I have been lucky enough to, again, I, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I've been doing this for about eight years. I've made some friends along the way, and I've reached out to actors, screenwriters, directors, um, producers, and they're all going to donate um, things from horror movies, and we're going to sell them, and 100% of the proceeds will go to um, Stop the Stigma. Oh so, Ryan, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I um I became I got really upset that horror got such a bad stigma because um yeah. I I have mental health issues and I've been like I um horror has honestly dragged me out of a, a very bad depression two times now in my life. Yeah. Um like I I literally say all the time like horror saved my life yeah. and so yeah. I want to break down those walls and I want to give back to the community that has given so much to me. Um, so yeah, I'm working alongside, uh, alongside them and hopefully we'll have some really cool, um, people <laughs> to announce. Uh, I have some, I have some stuff that are still in the works, but, um, some of the people donating, Rebecca McKendry will be donating, um, Luke Petrasky who, uh, wrote Super Dark Times, um, mm-hmm. Lauren Ashley Carter, um, Graham Skipper, uh, Owen Egerton who made the Bloodfest movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got some really awesome people that are um, going to help along with that charity. Amazing! That's fucking awesome. We'll definitely keep an eye out for all of that and make sure yeah, to and we, push it on all of our. Yeah, we'll we'll plug it for sure. Yeah, and that will be officially announced soon. We wanted to get it in time for Halloween. It doesn't look like it's going to happen because I'm still working with Stop the Stigma and all the like. There's a lot of politics involved and a lot <laughs> yeah. of like. You got to get like a government number for charities and everything like that. Uh, so yes. we're yeah working on stuff like that. But um, once it's officially announced, uh, I will let you guys know. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. Um. So you've heard of all from us, but um, now listeners, we want to hear from you. Uh, what is your experience with Jaws? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, and we might feature you in an upcoming episode. Um, you can also reach us out. To, whoa. <laughs> you can also reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, tag us at Scarred Podcast if you want to talk about the podcast on Twitter. And if you're listening on the 21st, just remember that today is the last day to get your ratings and reviews in to win one of those awesome Mondo posters. Um, if you're listening after that date, sorry, the contest has ended. Um, but we'll announce the winner during our fourth episode that launches on November 4th. Thanks, everyone, and stay creepy. <laughs> Oh
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.